Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Derek Scheller join us. Uh, and I'm personally grateful to have somebody in my neck of the woods join us. It's not that often that, that we get somebody here locally uh, in the Pittsburgh region. But uh, also, Derek's a great guy. He is a military veteran has over 10 years of experience in the InfoSec and IT fields. He is the founder, content creator, and podcast ho uh, host of Cyber Warrior Studios. Please check him out. Uh, he's got some great podcasts. I, I can tell you I personally love his Walk in the Woods series. So catch him. We'll put the links in the show notes uh, for that. He's also a senior consultant uh, at CISO. Uh, so welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, definitely. It's good to be here. So I'll tell you what, there's a lot to discuss. You you got a heck of a you you got a heck of a background. And I guess for our audience, give us your origin story. I mean, I, we know you were in the military and and somehow you've ended up now uh in the cybersecurity world, and that too in offensive cybersecurity. I can I can go back years or I could go back, you know, as an adult. Either way. Um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, it's funny. We talk about career transitions is a big thing these days. People trying to get out yep. of whatever industry and get into IT or cybersecurity. I didn't have that problem. From the age of seven, I was fixing computers. And then in high school, I started working at Best Buy selling computers. Um, I had been okay. fixing computers for years. So it was one of those things where I loved IT and computers and you know, I wasn't your hacker um, initially. Uh, I, I knew about punters. You figure I grew up around America Online and, you know, getting kicked off your dial up and everything like that. My buddies used to torment me with punters, <laughs> um, which was essentially just a bomb that killed your connection. Um, and I was interested, but never did the research. And so in 2004, when I joined yep. the Air Force, um, because I was in the Air Force initially in the Air National Guard. Uh, I had gone through, done all the training, and I, I literally did everything from networking to system administration to help desk, you name it, I did it. Uh, and then I was sitting in my apartment. Uh, I was going to college, sitting in my apartment one day, um, and I was like, you know, and wireless had just come out. Uh, WEP was still around, and I think it was 802.11b and maybe G was out. And okay. I was like, I bet you there's a way to break into this. I will almost guarantee you there's an easy way to break into this. And so I did. I did the research. And I my original breaking into anything and doing anything offensively, I broke into wireless networks and it was using aircraft. So people are lucky okay. these days. They have like Reaver and Wi-Fi and all the simple tools that just do it for you. No, 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 no. You, you had to actually go through, find the network, decide whether or not you could get in. And, and do all the hard work and, and stuff like that. WPS wasn't even around yet to make it easy. Um, so I did that, <laughs> learned that, and really started delving more and more into uh, uh, Backtrack Linux. And okay. that was my, besides Ubuntu, which I used religiously for a while, um, Backtrack was my first offensive distribution I used. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, that was the predecessor to Kali Linux. It was designed by Offensive Security. Um, okay. And so I used Backtrack, started doing all the research in Linux I could. I wanted to know everything there was about it. Um, and in the Guard, I became the pen tester for my unit. 
and started like playing right. with like their Aruba system and, and things like that. This was before Cyber MOS has even existed. I, I was going to say, so did, did you spend any time with Cyber Command at all? No, no. Before Cyber even existed in the Air Force, I was doing, I was helping with wireless pen testing. Okay. And then I picked up the security AFSC as it came out. Um, and then I transferred over to active duty army because funny enough, I had a degree for computer information systems for over a year and I didn't know it because the school never mailed me my diploma and I didn't find out till I went back. So I got my degree as I was leaving for the army. (laughs) (laughs) So I went in the army and I was supposed to go work for cyber command. I was actually got in, um, I was going to get in as a 25 Bravo for signal. Okay. And ended up getting in as a 25 Romeo um, because by the time they processed all my medical paperwork and did everything um, for all the injuries I'd already had previously, um, I couldn't get in as a Bravo anymore. So I got in as a Romeo, which was basically a jack of all trades. Um, I did, I fixed computers, did networking, did satellite, did broadcast engineering, like the actual MOS is broadcast engineering. Okay. But as a 25 Romeo, you do everything. And so... When I was stationed at Army Television, I decided, you know what? I'm tired of doing this. I want to do security. I want to get out. I already had already done. I've been working at home. And this is the kicker. And for anybody out there that wants to talk about getting into cybersecurity or IT, and you don't know anything, especially about cybersecurity, I took an hour or two every night to work on learning. So I would build labs. I would do hack the box. I would do try hack me. I would do everything I could to perfect my craft because it was something I knew I wanted to do in life. And as I was about to get out, my buddy came to me because I said, look, I'm gonna let my contract expire after the after army television. I'm done. Okay. I'm, I'm done. He said, Hey, there's this MOS. If you do it, you'll get a promotion. Um, and I was told I'd either be stationed at Fort Meade or Fort Gordon. So I'd be with our okay. cyber. And I was like, bet. Like, I, I, I was, was kicking around at first, but then I was like, you know what? All right, I get promoted and I get to do what I love. All right, cool. No problem. Plus, there was a bunch of sand search involved. So I had to renew my contract to take it. So I did that. I re-enlisted, took it. And they came back and they said, uh, hey, you're going to Fort Riley, Kansas. Okay. Like, you son of a... <laughs> so... I went through, I took out the 25 Delta MOS, which was all, I got my GSEC, my GCED, GCIH. I took the course for Python coder, but at the time the certification wasn't out. That, I took the beta cert after I had already graduated from the school. Okay. Um, but because I was going to Fort Riley, well, gotta love the military. They basically said, hey, um, we have civilians that do your job for you. You can do what you want on the tactical systems, like our satellite systems that we work on. Um, we had a tactical network, but as far as like actually doing security work or working with a SIM or anything like that, yeah, you're SOL. I was like, oh, fun. So yes, I am one of the few. So they kind of reneged on their deal. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I was one of the few that actually sent two emails to the SAR major to the army. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't stop at a lower. I went to the highest enlisted authority that I could go to. Um, the first one. I was definitely just complaining. I had no solutions. I was complaining because I had one of the highest scores in the school and I was going to a place where I was not going to be allowed to do my job. Um, And then the second one I wrote, 
I actually got a call from our cyber star major and he gave me a call and he said, Hey, tell me about this email. And I told him, I said, yeah, I don't know what you're doing. Um, he said, I have this conversation all the time with Star major army. He said, have you ever wanted to go offensive security? I said, that was the whole point of me taking his job. Yeah. And he said, all right, put in a packet that I'll get you approved. I said, all right, this was in 2016 after I'd already deployed and came back and did everything. Um, and then I find out that I have degenerating discs in my neck, bulging discs in my back, jacked up shoulders, jacked up oh, knees man. and everything else. And they said, hey, we're going to med board you. Basically meaning they're going to retire me or, or separate me and end up being retirement. But I was like, okay, I ain't playing this. Uh, I can get you here or do this. Maybe, possibly, like it was never official. So I said, you know what? I can make more on the outside and actually get to do what I love. So I'm out. See you later. Took the retirement uh, in 2017. And I have been with, I am on my one, two, three, fourth company since retiring, but I've been with CISO since 2020. Um, I love working for them. And I've been doing content creation and cybersecurity ever since I retired. Like as far as I retired in 2017, tried starting a business that failed. Um, stood up my uh, content creation. Uh, originally it was under Scheller Cybersecurity. It was named after my company. Um, I rebranded, changed everything um, because I shut down that company um, and just made it a, a content creation company at that point. Um, and that's where Cyber Warrior Studios came from um, because I wanted to do more than just technical videos. I wanted to do more than just the standard tutorials. For me, kind of like this podcast, it's about giving back to the community yes. in a way that allows people to have a voice. And so that's how I came up with Security Happy Hour. That's how I came up with Motivation Monday. Um, Tech Tuesday, like I said, it's just, it's technical content. It's there. I do it on occasion. Um, but I love um, those two shows. And then about two months ago, give or take, I was in a conversation with Hacker Valley Media. Good old Chris Cochran and yeah. Ronald Eddings and, and all them. And we had them on the show. We had Ron on the show. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was talking to them and I said, you know, I think I want to do another podcast. And because of kind of the journey I've been taking in my life and the path that I've been walking lately, um, I came up with an idea and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I'm based on kind of how I feel, you know, you can better your life and, and give a different perspective on things um, based on my beliefs. And so I was kicking around a few names and we came up with Walk With Me. Um, and then uh, John DeLeon from Hacker Valley's Discord server did all the intro and outro music for me. Um, and it kind of took off from there. Uh, this, my episode five that I released today, um, was actually the first episode where I did not go to Hacker Valley for assistance on the script to say, Hey, does this sound right? Oh. Does this look good? Does this whatever? Hey, I, it is the first one I did by myself. I started off in the intro with it. I said that that's one of my favorite. I, I, I liked the concept. I really enjoyed it. It was, it, it's really well done. Thanks. And yeah, it is definitely something. It's a passion project of mine. Everything I do with the exception of my full-time job is an expense. So for me, I pay for Adobe. I pay for, you know, the, the, to host my podcast on Buzzsprout. I pay for all these different things. And so for me, it's a passion of mine. It's my ability to give back to the community. And I feel with Motivation Monday and Walk With Me, it allows me to escape cybersecurity, to do something outside of the realm of, oh, you have to be technical. You have to do that. No, I don't. I can take my name and I can explain how Cyber Warrior relates to everything I'm doing. 
So I have a couple questions on that. Um, so regarding Cyber Warrior, I, and I like just going through some of the content, it's, I think it's a very appropriate name. But why not Cyber Strategist? So why the name, unlike some people who get their handles from others, right? They're in a community long enough and people just call them whatever and that's what sticks. I came up with it on my own. And I came up with it as I was leaving. Actually, when I was in the military, I went through a few different variations of things I would use, but ultimately settled on Cyber Warrior and Cyber Warrior Studios. And that was because I've, I have never been one to like kick down doors or do anything like that. My life, my fights, my battles have always been behind a computer screen um, and hence cybersecurity and IT and everything else. So that's where the cyber comes in. But both in life, in my career, and everything I've done, I've always been a fighter. I've always been a warrior, and I always will be. I will fight for the little guy. I will help people stand up. I will I will lift people up with me. And so it goes beyond when people think warrior, they give it a bad connotation. And I've heard that in the past. Like, oh, warrior is, you know, it's offensive. It's this, that, and the third. When in reality, it's not. When you take the term for what it is, it's a fighter. It is somebody that is going to sit down and go to battle no matter what it takes. And with five kids, a wife, a huge family, and then all my friends and family online that I've met through Twitter and Discord and you know everything else, LinkedIn, there is not a day that goes by that I will not fight for somebody. I will, I will always put other people before myself. That's a commendable quality. And my only reason for bringing that comment up was just, and this is just my personal experience and not the opinion of my company, but the, the, uh, a lot of the issues that we have seen in cybersecurity are fundamental foundational failures in strategy. Mm -hmm. um, the people have implemented things without thought. I'm going to guess I'm going to summarize it in, in that way. And that's why I, I asked the question, you know, is it the, the cyber strategist? It seems that in our industry, and again, this is just my opinion, uh, it's been a that str strategic thought process has been a missing element. Right. Yeah, it, it is. The, the strategy, a lot of times when cybersecurity is implemented, it is implemented in such a way where it's, oh, we have this problem and this company says they can solve it. So let's use their product. Exactly. Um, we have this issue. Let's let's use this product. It'll solve it. But not, not a lot of thought a lot of the time goes into, well, A, do we have the people to maintain it and to give it the care that it deserves? Do we have the, the strategy involved or the, the procedure and policy right. in place? For things like vulnerability management okay i'm gonna buy rapid seven insight vm um but i have no team to support it i'm just gonna implement it and and whatever happens happens um i have logarithm as a sim but i have no team to engineer the back end or to configure and, alarms and alerts and constantly tune it there's no yeah. sim that you can't you must constantly tune those babies to to make them be of any value correct and and so Unfortunately, what we're seeing is a lot of companies are selling the product. They are. And then they're trying are. to pitch professional services to help set it up. Unfortunately, that's a problem because they're using FUD as a sales tactic. And then on top of that, 
They're not providing any, I can't say none of the companies are. I've not talked to all of them. Don't take it as all of them. Um, But there's a lot of companies out there. And then instead of giving them like, hey, this MSSP actually uses this product. If you don't have a security team, they do really good work with helping you manage alerts and things like that. That's a step in the right direction. But the question comes down to what are you going to do with those? Do you have a policy? Do you have a procedure? Do you have any type of program that handles if we're breached? How do we prevent a breach? Do we need to hire more people? Do we need a security director that's going to write a program? Do we need to work with a consulting firm to help us develop our program and tell us what we need? Because we don't have a clue. And um, those are all, all problems. Of, yeah, these are all problems of strategy. You, that people have not thought this through. And I'm so glad to hear somebody else saying it. And it's not me. So <laughs> <laughs> it is. But that's why I love where I work, because I get to help clients that are looking for that strategy. I get to help clients that are looking to develop a vulnerability management program that are looking to grow their team and say, hey, look, we need someone that can help us figure out what we need, what we don't need. Is this is this software tuned correctly? Like, are, are we doing something wrong? What's going on? And we get to advise on that. And it becomes more than just check the box. It becomes the clients that come to us truly want to make a difference. They truly want to invest in their security programs and figure out where they can do more and get better and develop that strategy. Unfortunately, not all companies are like that. Not all companies care about the strategy. They care about making money. And unfortunately, in this day and age, it doesn't matter that it's 2022 people still see security as an expense. So instead of investing in it, they just see it as they're wasting money because we as security practitioners have not developed a way to communicate effectively that security is actually an investment. It is not an expense. It is an investment in your future because without it, you're going to come out of pocket. Your insurance companies are no longer going to cover you if you get breached because you didn't have the due diligence. You didn't do your due diligence to make sure things were implemented properly and to have the teams to secure it. So now they're not getting that money from their insurance companies, which means if they get breached, they're coming out of pocket sometimes a million, two million, oh, they could million be dollars. sunk. They could be sunk. I mean, for exactly. a small business, it could be, it could be very much game over. Yeah. So on that note, give us a brief description. What in your mind would be defense in depth, staying on that topic of strategy and security here? Well, defense in depth, as as any security practitioner will tell you, is multiple layers, right? Unfortunately, people always like stop at the technology and don't realize the human element. That's right. Or 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 the the documentation. So, the very first part of defense in depth, we love to say it's the firewall or the the router or the endpoint or this at the third. The very first part is that documentation. Do you have a program? Do you know where your assets are? Do you know what assets you have? Do you know what software you have? Have you done any type of inventory? Because the first thing that's going to kill you beyond someone getting fished is rogue, rogue IT. If you have systems uh, being turned up it. that nobody knows about, that they can't be monitored, then it doesn't matter what you have in place. You're not going to see it. You have to know what assets you have. You have to know what software is on your network so that you can see when things are out of bounds. But ultimately, defense and death comes down to your, your, your program, your policy and procedure your people, and then the software, and then the hardware, and then, you know, the networking layer, and it goes all the way up. 
Um, and these days with the cloud and things being cloud native, you can still have all of that. You have your program, you have the people, and then you have the ability to run firewalls and run all this stuff on your SIM and your security products and things of that nature in the cloud. And unfortunately, we still have companies out there to go, oh, I'm in the cloud, I'm secure. No, because you're in the cloud, which means guess what now? Now I just need to figure out who's sitting on that provider. That's right. And and there is a lot of misconceptions around the shared security model with being in the cloud. And you said it very it, – it, and I just don't think we can say it enough. I think I out of the hundred-some-odd guests we've had, many of them have spoken about this topic. I hope people are starting to listen because this is fundamentals. And what you're stating are the fundamentals. Know your assets. Yep. Know your inventory. Know what's out there. Know, know about rogue IT. You know, how do you do vulnerability management? Well, that's a huge topic, um, which would take shows, not one show to cover, right? That's, but, hey, that's why I do it. That, that's why my company uh, does it. We help you do your vulnerability management program and develop all that. So if you're looking for that, CISO's where to go. <laughs> well, that's fine, man. I'm... I, Please, you know, and, and send us a link. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes as well it, on uh, how to reach out to you guys. Yeah, definitely. Right? Now, let me ask you one more thing before we move on, because uh, I do want to talk about the adversarial, the, the offensive position. But while you were in the Air Force, did you come across a term called the prevention paradox by any chance? I vaguely recall it. Um I don't know the, the, the definition offhand. Though. Oh, I would, uh, D Derek, it's, it's kind of cool. The U.S. Air Force coined it, and they apparently did an extensive study. And, and what they found, what it basically says is that the more you focus on prevention, the less secure you become. And the reason for that, especially if you're going to a single platform on your prevention side because you lose visibility to your adversary's movements to anything that you are not able to prevent which makes a lot of sense not right. wrong i mean but it, it, and here's the thing and and here's the biggest issue with it is companies want to be 100 percent secure the ones that care about security they want to be 100 well you secure. can't be there it is you can never be 100 percent secure so it doesn't come down to um, risk elimination. There's no way to eliminate all your risk. There's risk mitigation. There's risk acceptance. And there's just knowing your risks and then knowing how to monitor them. If you sit here and tell me you are going to block every outbound port, I'm going to tell you you're crazy because you can't or else your people are never going to get on the internet and you might as well just disconnect the internet from your computers anyways because it's not going to work. Well, you're going to so, have a shitload of shadow IT if you do that. But Oh, that's... yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and so it comes down to monitoring. And that's where things like XDR and SOAR and right. SIM and, and all these other technologies come into play because you have to be able to monitor this stuff. You're Like I said, without ever being 100% secure and knowing that you're not, because people are always going to find ways around no matter what EDR you use. You could use CrowdStrike with the best policies in the world and someone's going to find a way around it. No, and, and you know what? The thing is that a lot of malware distributors out there are now building in tactics that specifically get around your favorite EDR mm -hmm. slash SIM tools. I won't mention names, but if you people go and research it, you can 
you can find it. <laughs> it's it's so, made that way, and and so and things won't detonate or detonate the right way if they're in certain environments. I got my gram back in 2020, and I learned huh, malware can be fun because guess what? It'll recognize if it's on a v, if it's on a VPN. It'll recognize if it's in a virtual machine. It'll recognize yep. if you're using some type of um, codes like a, um, like a Ghidra or something like that. It'll it'll interact differently. And so, if it doesn't have an internet connection, it'll interact differently. If if it reaches out and can't touch the IP it needs, it'll interact differently. So it builds in all these different things. And so, yes, malware is getting to the point where I don't care what uh, EDR you're using, the best you can do and the best you can hope for is to eliminate a, 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 a script kitty. Those that truly want to get into your system and truly know what they're doing, especially your nation state actors, are going to get around it. So it comes down to monitoring. You ha- you can you can limit and, and mitigate your risk and you know limit your attack surface. That's the whole premise to ADR because it's not a hundred percent. Is to right. you know take that attack surface from making it this big and bringing it down to like here. Yep. And and so that's what you do. And then you want monitoring to be able to not only monitor essentially this wide, but you want it to be able to monitor that stuff that you know you're not going to be able to stop. You know yep. that if it gets in, it gets in. So how do we? How do we monitor it? And then how do we react to it? How do we go in there after the fact and say, oh, crap, this, you know, detonated this, this malware got us. Let's stop it. Let's let's isolate it. Let's follow the whole IR process and incident handling. And, you know, you know, let's keep going. And that way you can get back to business as soon as possible. And that's what it should be is about business enablement. And if you if you don't do all these things. Then all right, I'm and um, your business is is enabled, and then it's going to get hit, and it's going to be gone. See you later. Yeah, well, and, and you know, some pe- there's going to be a group of people that's going to say, "Well, that's fine. Uh, I'll take that loss," and and you can't do much with them. Oh, but for le- sure. But let's get in. Let's get into the mind of the adversary in, in in this case. What what makes a good target? So if I, I'm looking out there prowling for a victim as a bad guy <laughs> what makes a good target how do you select your victim low-hanging fruit so soft soft targets those that if i'm scanning and i find open ports to like ldap like these days so you look at what your zero days are and a lot of times that's going to be the first thing that they're going to look for is any zero day or well it's no longer a zero day um but let's say something came out this year yep we know, and your adversaries know, companies are going to be behind on patching. They're not going to be able to handle everything. A lot of them can't handle the workload. So they're going to go out there and they're still going to scan for the most up-to-date um, vulnerabilities that there are. And then after that, they're going to look at things like Eternal Blue. Anything that came out that's like, hey, this should have been patched. If you update your stuff and, and you're leaving it open, then sorry. Like you just enabled lateral movement by doing that, you, but you okay. gave me access, homie. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it is, it's always about, but then it also comes down to, it really depends on the type of attacker you're looking at. Are they a hacktivist? Are they, um, 
are, are they a hacktivist? Are they going for money? Are they going for data? Like, what is the, what are they going after? And then that'll determine the target. Are they you know going what? after and financial corporations? And that gets back to the strategy. Do you know your assets? Where and where do you fit in the supply chain of your revenue chain? Right. That's something a, a lot of businesses neglect on is they may not be the direct target, but they may be the vehicle by which you get into your target. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's where your supply, that's where third parties and all and TPRM and all that stuff comes in. If you're not doing third party risk management, you're going to have another system like Target where the HVAC is how they got in because they tied into the network and then they had access. So if your strategy, if your policy, if your procedures, if your program is not up to date and this stuff is allowed to happen on your network without your knowledge, then I don't know what to tell you because security has been around now long enough that companies should know better. And I think that's where the problem comes in is there's enough knowledge out there. There's enough people that have been in the field long enough that have done YouTube videos and podcasts and conferences and all this other stuff that aren't vendors. And I'm not talking vendors because vendors, especially technology vendors tend to, you know, spew fun. I'm talking to practitioners, the people on the ground, right? that speak at these conferences, that speak on YouTube, that speak on podcasts, are yep. telling you this is a problem. And if you are not listening, then I don't care. Then why why should I care about your organization if you don't even care about it? As the CEO of a company, you should truly care about the security of your company because it is part of our culture now, or at least should be. And And if you don't care, as much as there's been ads about fishing on TV, and I'm talking cable it's all, it's TV, it's everywhere. Well, has put you, stuff out about it. Just look at the news. Does a day go by when there isn't a, a major story about some kind of a cyber event that took place? I mean, given the fact that the Russians are going after the Ukrainians on a daily basis, uh, that you you just have to look at that. What's going on over there, and you can yeah. see those same models would be in play over here. Which, which gets to the question, like when, when the adversaries are reconning a target, how, how do they go about doing it without getting detected? And, and in your experience, at least, how many companies are actually compromised and may not even know? They're just sitting there. They compromise them and they're just sitting there. And, and they're going to sell that access to whoever whenever they need it or they'll act when they need it. You know? Yeah. yeah. And again... It all comes down to who's who's the target, what they're doing, what they're going after, and what they're right, what they're trying to do. Um, well, you look at what the Russians. I, I mean, their their general game plan is disruption of life, right? So they don't care about the money. It's not so much, but they're paying. Apparently, we can't prove it, but state sponsored agents, quote unquote, that are doing ransomware, who do want the money, or who are doing DDoS attacks as ancient as those things are, but that crap is still going on. But the motivation behind them is a state actor that just wants disruption. That's it. Yeah. By any means possible. Yeah. And that's, and that's going to happen. That's there's when it comes to disruption, there's not a whole lot that you can do other than have the right things implemented 
to prevent it. And unfortunately, and as we've seen with things like AWS, DynDNS, um, Cloud, uh, Cloudflare, and, and all these other services, as good as we are getting at preventing things like DDoS, as good as we are getting at preventing disruption, we're not there yet because of the botnets, because of all the issues. So you figure, I, I think it was a four terabyte attack that took down one of the major services, it might've been Dyn or Cloudflare, I can't remember which, um, but it was a huge botnet that crashed it and, and they had to bring the services back up. Now it wasn't permanent. It wasn't for a long period of time, or at least right. I don't think it was, but it was still enough to bring the services down. Um, so for that, it's one of those things where disruption is going to happen. We can only get, we can only do so much. And so that's the hardest part. How do we go on the offensive then? Is there a means? What can no. we do? That would be the equivalent of a concealed carry. <laughs> it says, you know what? You hit me and I'm going to hit back. They're trying that. They're trying that. Or it's been kicked around with, with bills and policy to allow for hacking back. So the problem that comes down to that, though, is attribution. So we have a big problem in security, especially some of your major, major companies that just want to be the first. It's kind of like I'd rather be first than be right. right. Yeah. So so what they do is within the first half hour to an hour, they look at something and they go, oh, this is probably and they'll always put those terms in there. Probably maybe things like that but they'll attribute it to like this Chinese hacking group, this Russian hacking group, this Korean hacking group, this whatever, from whatever country. They're like, oh, it looks like it probably might be from here. So people see that, that probably doesn't matter. It's, this is from here. That's how it's right. read. Right. And so when you're looking at companies that have been breached and you look at hacking back, that attribution is the hardest part. Because of VPNs, because of things like Tor, because of uh, proxy servers, and you can have a, I can buy a server in another country and say, you know, hosting space and, and make it look like an attack is coming from there because of botnets and things like that. So unless somebody stands up and says, yeah, that was me. I did that. It was, it was all me. Um, it's impossible. I, well, it's not impossible, but it is very, very difficult and very, very time consuming to actually attribute any type of attack to any single entity, unless we know without a shadow of doubt that, hey, they claimed ownership, it's them, which very, very rarely happens. Now, did that not also happen with the Sony attack? Uh, I mean, it turned out that it may not have been the North Koreans who got... Yeah, that's been kicked around back and forth. Um, it was attributed to North Korea. Uh, I think there's been a few other groups that have stood up and said it was us, um, or at least one other... And then I think they've also done a little bit more investigation and said, well, actually, we're, you know, how many years past this, but it may have actually been this group from this country. And it's like, it's why attribution is one of those things you can write in any language that you're fluent in. Hell, these days with translators, you can write in any language you want. Sure. It may be broken, but you can do it. And then on top of that, um, the fact is, you can have your, your network traffic go anywhere in the world. 
just because you reside in one country doesn't mean that's where the network traffic is going to go. Sure, but don't our intelligence agencies in have like the Tor networks? I'm, I'm sure they own or at least have a strong into a lot of the nodes that are on that thing, right? They're, they're so with Tor, I think it's about forty percent, maybe fifty, that the NSA and and our other three letter agencies own. Right. Um, but there's still an issue with that coming from that endpoint. Or so at the exit node, if you're still going to a clearnet site, that traffic is still unencrypted. So they can still see what is being done. And if you're passing credentials and things like that, stuff like that can still be grabbed. Plus then they have a way now, I forget, I think it's like time relay or I forget what the, what, what the, um, how they're doing it, but they can actually eventually track back who the original source was. So Tor, though it's safer and more anonymous, it's not completely anonymous. They can still find you. And if you're going on things um, like your hacking forums, like raid forums and things like that, and you're like, oh, yeah, I want to buy this malware. Half time, it has a um, another malware attached to it anyways that may be a locator from one of your friendly little three or four letter agencies, depending on which country you're in. So um, to, to sit here and say you're anonymous or they can't track you is, is wrong. Um, to say you're a little bit more private and secure, sure from the everyday person, but from anybody that truly wants that information, nah. Right, but they would have to expend resources mm -hmm. to get at it. You'd so have to be a target. You, you So that's where your your illegal operations, that's how they brought down um, like your, your drug, uh, I think it was, I can't think of the name of it now, but there's been a few huge marketplaces that have been shut down by the three letter agencies and four letter agencies across the world. Um, and that is because they, it was worth the effort for them. They were a major contributor to a major problem. And for them, it was worth the effort uh, for one or two people that might go out there and download something, which more than likely has malware from the person um, distributing it anyways, because they're like, you know what? I'm gonna keep track of what you're doing. Um, not really. But if it becomes a problem, if they know it's a group or if they have eyes on a group, then, yeah, they're going to start feeding information and doing things to track it back. But from any regular old script kitty that's just like, hey, I want to spend 10 grand on this ransomware because they can afford it because mom and dad have a trust fund for them. Um, great. Go for it. Um, but they're probably not going to get very far. And so there's very few of these folks out there that have the technical acumen to create these technologies from scratch and deploy mm -hmm. them without buying them, quote unquote, off the right. black market. Correct. Right. And, yeah, and, and, I, and that's the thing is there's a lot of people online that like to argue about hacking and what it is and who it is and all this other stuff. But yep. here's the kicker. Um, a, you don't have to know program to be a hacker or programming to be a hacker. Um, go back and look at the literal definition of when the MIT Model Railroad Club was the actual first hackers. And it could probably even go further back than that if you really want to get um, into the nitty gritty. But because to be a, efficient at what you do, it takes a certain mindset. Hackers, or not hackers, but programmers and malicious programmers that develop exploits um, have one mindset to do programming and things like that. 
can they and do some of these APTs enlist the help or or are they responsible for not only the exploit development, but the distribution and everything else like that and actually attacking systems? Yes. But that requires a team. Very That's rarely the GRU. Will you find, <laughs> correct. Very rarely will you find one or two people um, that can write the exploit, distribute the exploit, fish people and do everything, have the infrastructure and do all that. It's very rare. Not saying it doesn't happen, just saying it is rare. And and so those that can write those exploits efficiently and not get caught and bypass security measures like your EDR systems and everything yeah. else, um, that takes a certain mind frame and a certain skill set that doesn't allow a lot of the time. I equate those people to the ones like kind of like wrote Microsoft Word and, and all that. That type of programming knowledge to be able to decipher and do all those things um, doesn't really a lot for understanding or comprehending different aspects of computer systems. Again, not saying it's not possible, saying it's rare. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, it's a, it's a combination of multiple advanced skills. Writing malware is a non-trivial exercise. It's not writing something novel is a non-trivial exercise. Mm-hmm. And it requires an in-depth knowledge of the systems that you're trying to bypass in order to do it. Right, because you got to figure now, let's think about this, say it's a web-based exploit. So now are you going after a Chrome vulnerability, a Firefox vulnerability, an Edge vulnerability, a Brave vulnerability, or are you going after all of them? Um, if you're going after all of them, okay, now you've got to write four different bypasses depending on which browser you're going for. And a lot of times those bypasses and things like that get written as an assembly or, or C which require even further knowledge. Right. And then once you bypass that, okay, are you trying to buy, bypass one type of EDR? Or are you trying to bypass them all? Or are you, are you like taking a shot in the dark that they're going to be running Norton or McAfee? Okay, so then you're going to write your bypasses for those and make sure you can get around those. And then you got to make sure that no one uploads it to VirusTotal because then that signature gets passed down to everything else and now your signature is out there. So there are so many nuances and so many steps that go into developing malware that is, excellent at what it does that it takes a special breed of human being to be able to sit there and purposely write things to bypass other things there are people that can do it i've seen some of the malware that keytron evans wrote when he showed me but again it's not all over the place i mean he he sends his signatures to companies so that people can't manipulate his stuff but um the stuff that he's been able to develop and yet he's still an instructor and does networking and consulting and all this right. other stuff. So do people exist that can write malware and do all this? Yes. But the ones that truly are malicious, uh, I highly doubt that they do much more than bug hunting and, and vulnerability stuff and, and looking for a particular way to exploit these systems and write the code for it. Got it. Uh, uh, I think the audience listening should, that's a, excellent uh, identification of the adversary and knowing them. Uh, people take what Derek is saying to heart. Uh, there's there's a great description there. And Derek, you know what? Unfortunately, we're running out of time. We didn't even get halfway through this. I like to talk. <laughs> uh, uh, we're going to just have to have you back at some point in time. Uh, would love to continue the conversation if if you would, but I want to give you two minutes here to plug whatever it is that you'd like to talk about. And yeah, you know, it's your forum, please. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Look, hey, so um, 
like was stated in the beginning of the show and has is, is been mentioned several times throughout, not only do I work for CCL, CISO LLC as a senior security consultant, I am also the founder and sole content creator for Cyber Warrior Studios. So over there, if you're looking for motivation, if you're looking for interviews with other major, major people in cybersecurity and even some newcomers that I've had on because everybody deserves a voice, please head over, check it out. I also do Tech Tuesday. It's just not every Tuesday. I release those as I get around to it. Um, and then finally, I do have a brand new podcast. I just released episode five called Walk With Me, an audio guide to self-improvement. Look, if you're looking to get along in your life and move further and keep pushing forward, I do have everything out there for you, whether it's in cybersecurity or just life in general. I got something for everybody. Um, you can head over to my website, cyberwarriorstudios.com, see everything I have to offer to include them awesome merchandise. So I'm just saying, um, but it's been fun, Manoj. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. We're going to have to get together and grab a beer sometime. I'd or love at least to a drink and hang out for sure. That would be fantastic. I would look forward to that. And thank you for giving your time. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, man. Just let me know. Sounds great.